Hello, everyone. This is Michael Govier from the Cinema 9 Podcast, and you are listening to Pop Goes Your World. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. And now it's time for our feature presentation. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 182, Johnny Dangerously Movie Review. Brian, along with caveman Derek Myers, and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Derek, how are you? Busy, busy, busy. <laughs> Been a busy week for me. Lots going on with my job. Got a few more weeks till I start my summer vacation. Right, so it's it. just head down, moving forward, yeah. get that stuff done, and the finish line is in sight. So this is a this is a nice little break. We'll do this show for the next hour or so, and then mm-hmm. it's nose to the grind, back to work. Back to work. So you've been very busy, but have you been able to squeeze in any pop culture? That's the question. Absolutely. Of you know, course. no matter oh, good. No matter how much work you have to do, no matter how hard you work, no matter how many hours you put in, uh, you've got to always take a little bit of time for yourself to relax, to have some fun, to have some downtime, to decompress, call it what you will. And for me... It involves riding my bicycle for some, you know, an hour a day and watching at least an hour, 90 minutes of TV at least once a day. And I find if I get those two things in, all the other stuff just sort of falls away for a short while. So I managed to watch a bunch of stuff this week, but I'm only going to talk about the two sort of highlights. So the first one is a brand new movie that dropped on Netflix this weekend. It's called Army of the Dead. It's written and directed by Zack Snyder, whose name you probably know from the recent Justice League movie. He did the recent Superman movies. Okay. He did uh, 300. Um, right. You know, he's 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 a pretty big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's done. Well, I'll take your word or, for it. Yep. Love him or hate him. He's a big name. Uh, this movie uh, stars Dave Bautista, who you might remember was in the Guardians of the Galaxy film franchise. He played Drax the Destroyer, the guy with the gray skin and all the tattoos. Um, he was he, uh, Dave Bautista has also appeared in one of the recent James Bond films. He's uh, becoming a, a pretty decent actor in his own right. Mm. And uh, this movie, Army of the Dead, is uh, basically the zombie outbreak has happened in Las Vegas. Uh, the government has put a makeshift wall around Las Vegas and just let the zombies go go nuts with each other. And uh, our movie picks up a few days before the government is set to drop a nuclear bomb on what we used to know was Las Vegas in a hope of destroying all the zombies before they can possibly escape. But a rich guy hires a team of um, you know ragtag mercenaries to go into Vegas and recover some loot. Basically, it becomes a heist movie. Go in. Steal the stuff, get out of Vegas, don't get killed by the zombies, and do all this before the government drops a nuke on Las Vegas. So that's the premise. It's set up in the first five minutes of the movie. And then for the next two and a half hours, you have these adventurers shooting up zombies in Vegas. And it is as fun as it sounds, as much as it is cheesy and it's, it's uh, you know, high quality production values, fantastic special effects, some totally over the top craziness. But if you like zombie movies, 
you got to check this out. I think it's a little bit too long. I think two and a half, it runs two hours and 28 minutes. I think that's, that's a little on the long side. You probably could have cut at least 20 minutes out of it. And the movie would probably feel a little tighter, but uh, no, it was a fun ride. It's on Netflix. So you can watch it. Uh, well, I don't want to say for free because obviously we pay for Netflix, but if you've got Netflix, this won't cost you anything over and above what you're already paying for Netflix called army of the dead. Hmm. It was fun. Check it out. I mean, right. it's, it's a little long, but it was decent. Okay, so that's one thing. What was the second thing you did? The second thing I had was a documentary. A documentary? For 40 days and 40 nights, watch documentaries. He likes to learn about the world. It's Derek's Documentaries. Derek's Documentaries. Oh, please tell us about this documentary. All right, so this the setup for this this is one of the best documentaries i've seen all year arguably one of the best films but definitely one of the best documentaries um it is uh, from hbo sports and it is called the weight of gold it is a one-hour documentary that premiered on hbo and hbo max we just got it in canada this week i think it might have been released in the states earlier so some people may be like yeah i saw that last year mm-hmm. um it runs one hour, and the premise is that um, they interview a whole bunch of U.S. Olympic athletes, some of whom were successful uh, and and medaled, some who were less successful and only were able to compete. Uh, it focuses a lot on Michael Phelps, obviously, as the most decorated uh, Olympic athlete ever, and the, the focus of the documentary is on the mental health and the mental well-being of Olympic athletes and essentially the absence of support for, for these athletes. Like they, you know, in one point, one of the athletes says like, if I was in training for the Olympics and I blew up my knee, I would have the best surgeon, the best specialist, the best physio, the best rehab, like these doctors and, and support system for physical injuries, top notch, the absolute best in the world. But if you have any sort of mental issues, uh, you need, you know, you say I'm feeling depressed or I'm feeling anxious or I think I need to talk to someone. I'm having some some whatever. No support at all. Nothing. And that's that's what this documentary really focuses on is, you know, it takes a certain kind of person to be an Olympic athlete and want to compete for a gold medal. And you basically give up your entire life to be singularly focused on being the absolute best. And again, Michael Phelps, fantastic example. He absolutely was without a doubt the best at what he did. But what happens when the Olympics are over? What happens when you have achieved what you wanted to do or you shot for you, you took your shot and you missed, maybe you, you didn't win. What happens next? And they interview about a dozen Olympic athletes, and it is shocking to hear the lack of support that these athletes get in this regard. And uh, it's, but it's it's a phenomenal documentary. I I, I can't hmm. recommend it strongly enough. It's currently on HBO or Crave if you got it in Canada. It is literally one hour, so you can sit down and watch it all in one shot. I. I Strongly recommend it. It was fantastic. It's called The Weight cool. of Gold, and the poster has Michael Phelps' picture on it. So, very cool. Good name those, for those it. Those are too. my two. Yeah, yeah. I like it. <clears throat> okay, so my oldest son, uh, and I, I've got kids. That's why I don't have as much time to do pop culture, I guess. But my oldest son is twelve, and it's speech time at school. Derek, nice. So the students have to come up with a speech where they have to uh, convince the class of their point of view on a certain topic. And so I asked my son, I was like, well, what's going to do your speech on? And he said, I, I wanted to go with the reasons why 2020 sucked. And I was like, hey, 
I got a song you can play for your class. <laughs> As you know, Derek. And it goes a little something like this. song talk about why 2020 sucked but it's got my signature reggae groove apparently yeah well <laughs> i mean reggae groove should be in quotes because you know so, when are you gonna write a song for us derek oh i'm working on one believe me i, oh, I had one i i was close to having one ready for tonight but uh, unfortunately real life got in the way well singing isn't the only thing i do around here i also do this here's your dad joke of the week all right uh, just a warning. This one's not safe for work. Okay. <laughs> just you know, Derek. You're already uh, laughing, so I don't know. Okay. It's, it's just because it's not safe for work. So it's it's not really a dad joke because it's like dirty. Okay. Derek, why isn't there a pregnant Barbie doll? I have no idea. I'm guessing this is something to do with Ken, but yeah. let's hear it. Because Ken in a different <laughs> There is no way in hell that makes it past the censors. No. I wanted to go back and watch The Love Boat. I'm going to give you a lot of reasons to think I'm nerdy tonight. I've never actually watched Alf. Jerry Seinfeld's mother. We were actually just talking about Alf in my house last week. And I knew you'd be on my side about all this. Chris, he normally has the textbook answer. The Love Boat. He obviously has not read the science fiction textbook. Very cool. But is it, Chris? But is it cool? I'll settle down, young man. I do love this movie. And yes, Yancey, it is cool, by the way. 
All right, my friend, it was my turn to nominate a film this week, and I, I was in the mood for an 80s comedy, so I went with the 1984 Michael Keaton movie, Johnny Dangerously. Derek, you had never seen this movie before, so never before we do a deep dive on the movie, which we will do, uh, what was your initial reaction to seeing Johnny Dangerously for the first time in 2020? In so... I, I, I had a hard time finding this because it wasn't available on any of our normal streaming services, which I think you and I had sort of talked about a little bit off camera last time. Yeah. It and, was hard uh, to find, wasn't it? Well, You're right. It, it wasn't, wasn't on it wasn't. streaming. I have, well, the, I have the 80s classic channel and it wasn't on there. Uh, I don't have it on DVD. Like it was really tough. Where did you end up finding it? I found it on YouTube. The entire movie was just on YouTube for free. Me too, but it was like letterbox, like over into the right hand corner. Yeah, and yes. it was sped up. Like, the movie's supposed to run, I think, an hour and 31, and it was, like, an hour and 18. So I was worried at first that stuff was cut out, but then I, I could tell that it was actually that whoever had posted it in order to try and avoid being, you know, copyright and stuff, because they probably shouldn't have posted it, they sped it up. The so only I was time like, you, know you could what? notice that it was just sped up slightly was in the opening song. That's, that's where what I, was I going noticed. With. Yeah. But so yeah. Anyway, so I fired I it up. It too. Yep. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, again, I didn't know anything about it. I knew Michael mm -hmm. Keaton was in it. That's right. basically the only thing I really knew about it. Yep. And um, so I'm like, okay, I, I fired it up and the music starts. I'm like, wait a minute, I know this song. And it's a song by Weird Al Yankovic. And I'm like, it is. Oh, I love this song. I haven't heard this in a long time. So I'm singing along. And that's when I realized I'm like, this song sounds a little fast. And that's when I realized the whole thing about that being sped up. So right. I'm like, wow, this is a good start. Okay, I, I'm I, I'm going to love this or I'm going to at least be open to this experience. And let me tell you, that was the highlight for me. It was all downhill from there. And <laughs> oh, I, man. It went what? downhill yeah. fast and it, <sighs> this movie was terrible. Wow, why do you know from funny? Uh, yeah, geez. no, this, I didn't laugh at all. What? I, oh, it man, was you are terrible. There was no, crazy. I kept trying to think to myself, who crazy. is the audience for this movie? Because- I usually have a pretty reasonable sense of humor. I laugh at, you know, the dick and fart jokes. I laugh at people getting slapped in the face with a pie. I can laugh at highbrow humor. Like I, I get humor. And this to me just didn't check any of the funny boxes. I was trying to figure out, I'm like, is it supposed to not be funny? Is it like one of those, it's so bad you laugh at it? I, I just couldn't figure it out. But no, I, I dislike this movie tremendously. I would rather have gone back and rewatched Ishtar, which I dislike a <laughs> you lot. That movie. And what, this movie, this is the worst thing you've had me watch ever. For this oh podcast. my god, this was awful. You are you are so wrong. But I tell you, I think I think this movie tried to be somewhat to be kind of like an airplane of gangster flicks. Like even the way like it opens up with the date nineteen thirty five, and then the truck runs it over. You know. But I think I think the the problem with it is. I don't think gangster flicks are all that ripe for satire, you know, but, but anyway, that being said, I thought this movie was really funny. Now you got to keep in mind, I originally saw this movie in the theater as a 14 year old. So you can probably see where the appeal was for me back then, but 37 no, no, years. I don't, oh, I don't, I don't I understand how this is appealing to anyone. I there laughed aren't even boobs I in this. I thought, well, maybe we're going to see some boobs. You know, it's the eighties. They'll throw some in just, you know, cause no. the movie's so bad. And I was like, no, I didn't even get to see anything, any nudity. I was like, there's no redeeming qualities for this movie. There None. are, and I'm going to get to a few of them, you know, t today in, in the podcast, but I thought there was a couple of really funny parts. But anyway, um, as the years have gone on, it, looking back on it, it's a mindless comedy. It's a super silly movie, obviously, but I still laughed quite a bit. And, and I think in a world now where, you know, 
comedies are a dying breed and everything is CGI comic book movies. I think we could use some more silly comedies in this world. And I was really glad to, to just get a chance to go back and watch it again. I think if you're looking for a funny movie to watch, do not listen to what Derek says. You could do a lot worse than this. I mean, come on, Derek, come on. How is this not funnier than that crappy hot tub time machine garbage that you had me watch? Oh, no, this is way fun. Oh, this, this geez. hot tub time machine was way better than this. Not I laughed at funny hot tub. I enjoy hot tub time no, machine. Not this even movie was just, there was, there was, I couldn't find one single redeeming quality for this movie. Ah. I didn't like it at all. Ah, I didn't like half the people that were in it. I thought that, you know, it was just bad all around. Like there was so much to dislike about this movie. It's so wrong. We'll get into some of this and, and, and I'll try and convince you otherwise. So Amy Heckerling was the director. She'd also directed Fast Times at Ridgemont High and European Vacation and Clueless. I think this is one of those movies that if you, if you grew up in the 80s watching this on the movie channel or on VHS, it has a special place in your heart. That's certainly the case for me. But I'll tell you, you know, I think when it came out, uh, the movie-going public kind of felt like you did, Derek. Like, it was not successful. I mean, in 1984, Ghostbusters was the number one movie, you know, by far. And Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom was up there in Gremlins, Karate Kid, Police Academy, Footloose, you know, that sort of thing. Um, Johnny Dangerously finished all the way down at number 97. It only made $7.3 million. Now, Keep in mind, it didn't open in theaters until December 21st that year. It was sort of like a Christmas movie, so it, it actually finished with $17 million, but that would have probably put it around 50th for the year. So, again, safe to say, movie didn't exactly resonate with audiences when it came out, but I I think when you, when you look at the box office for that year, I think audiences in 84 missed out on a lot of pretty good movies. The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai, remember that one? Finished I've never seen it. I've heard of it. I want to see it. I've never seen it. Oh, it finished like 107th. The Lonely Guy with Steve Martin it was so good. 115th. This is Spinal Tap, 129th. Electric Dreams finished 142nd. Um, you ever seen that one? Virginia Madsen? I've never even heard of it. Oh, God. It's got the song Electric Dreams. If you, if, if you look I up the song I don't think I know that Dreams. either. Oh, and you would know it. You'd recognize the song. And Virginia okay. Madsen is in it, who I will forever have a lifelong crush on. And even Repo Man was like 163rd at the box office. I mean, audiences didn't really know. But um, one of the things you mentioned that you didn't like was the cast. Sorry, that list you just, were those supposed to be good movies? Because I don't think I liked any of the ones you just, Spinal ah, Tap was the only one that had any sort of good. redeeming quality. They were all good. Uh, so I want to talk about the cast in this movie because you mentioned you didn't like it. Um, I disagree. One of the things I will say about this movie is that there, there's quite a number of TV actors that are in. And back in 1984, and, you know, we've talked about this before. There were, back then, there was a clear distinction between being a TV actor and being a movie actor. If you, if you worked in TV, you aspired to work in movies, you know. And, but if you worked in movies, you, you never would slum it, you know, and, and do TV. TV was considered to be like a lesser art form. And that was just the way things worked. It, it didn't really change until Friends came along in the 90s and movie stars started doing guest spots and stuff like that. But so the cast, Michael Keaton, obviously, uh, was a star. That, and he got his start on TV. Uh, he started with Mary Tyler Moore's variety show back in the late 70s. And then he did a show called Working Stiffs. It was a sitcom with Jim Belushi. It was canceled after like nine episodes back in 79. And then his big break came when Ron Howard another former TV actor, uh, cast him and fellow TV actor, Henry Winkler, my idol, in the comedy Night Shift in 1982. Have you ever seen that one? 
Uh, yeah, a few times. Actually, I think I might even have it on my PVR right now. You like it? Uh, it's been a while since I've seen it. That's why I recorded it. Yeah. So I do, I remember enjoying it when I was younger, but I haven't seen it in 20 years. So it was it was quite good. And 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 my, it was a real breakout for Michael Keaton when he played, you know, Billy Bozjowski. And then he went on to do Mr. Mom and then this movie and Gung Ho again with Ron Howard. But that movie just bombed. And, and yeah, I never pretty, saw that one. Pretty much stalled Keaton's career, really, until like Beetlejuice came out and then Batman. Personally, I like Michael Keaton. I think he's got a good sense of comedy. He's got you know, energy, he's got a sense of timing, he's charismatic. But what I'd like to know from you, Derek, is what do you think of Michael Keaton? And I'm especially curious because when he played Batman in 1989, when it was announced that he was going to be Batman, it was very controversial, the casting. And you're a big Batman fan, so I just want to know in general, what's your take on Michael Keaton? You know, obviously this movie notwithstanding, apparently, but uh, what, what do you think of the guy? I, I like Michael Keaton. I've always Me liked too. Michael Keaton. I find that uh, he's sometimes, I don't want to say he's, mi- well, yeah, he's miscast sometimes. I think that in some cases, the he sort of brings the wrong energy to the part. But I think in some cases, you uh, you forget how good he is. Like, I think in Beetlejuice, he is fantastic. I think that's definitely one of his uh, greater performances. And I think in Batman, like to, to your point, People were very skeptical. It's like, uh, I don't know, this is Beetlejuice. And, uh, you know, being a Batman fan, being a comic book fan, uh, I obviously saw the original 1989 Tim Burton Batman in the theater. I ended up seeing it a bunch of times, and uh, I thought he was great in the role. And uh, aside from being a little short, because Batman's supposed to be, you know, a little more a little more buff, a little tougher, a little taller. But I think it worked. I think it worked just fine. And uh, I think it, it shut up a lot of the naysayers. I mean, the movie made a ton of money, which, you know, if people didn't like him that much, they wouldn't have gone to see it as much as they did. And it wouldn't have spawned a sequel. Um, and especially I've, I found that as Michael Keaton's got a little older, he's leaned more into the drama and, and moved away more from the comedy as, as a lot of comedic mm-hmm. actors tend to do as they get a little more, um, uh, you know, a little more experience under their belt. They get an opportunities. Like I'm thinking like people like Robin Williams and Jim Carrey, like they they start as, as these breakout comedians doing these funny movies with these over the top comedic roles. And then when given opportunities to do drama, many of them can do it as well or better than some of their peers. And I think Michael Keaton fell right into that category. I think he is at a point in his career, the last 10 to 15 years where he's been very selective. He hasn't worked as much, but when he's picked the role, he's picked good roles and he's, he's really shown his acting chops. So, uh, no, I like him a lot. I don't know if you know this, but when Damon Lindelhoff and JJ Abrams did lost, they actually wanted Michael Keaton to play the part of Jack and they killed him off in the pilot. And he was actually the body that was up in the trees that was all bloody. And then they recut the whole thing because they, they didn't want to kill off the main character and they made that be the pilot. But uh, yeah, Michael Keaton was supposed to be in Lost, but uh, I liked him in Batman too. I thought he was really good. Uh, so some of the other cast members, the doctor, I don't know if you recognized him. He remember the one that keeps treating Ma Kelly and he's like, it's her pancreas, Johnny. And he's like, well, okay. what, what about it? We can't find it. I don't know if you recognize, that was Carl Gottlieb. Do you know who that is? No. He's, he's best known as one of the writers of Jaws. Spielberg also cast him in Jaws, just so we'd have him around to do rewrites on the script. Anyway, he was, uh, Maureen Stapleton, I want to talk about his Ma Kelly. I think even if you hated this movie as much as you did, Derek, you've got to admit, like, I, I can't, she was funny in this movie. Like, I mean, come no, she on. Wasn't. Oh, I was, first of all, I, I hadn't seen her before, so well, I didn't know who she was. Know her. 
And again, I didn't find anything about this movie funny. I thought that it was stupid. I couldn't wait for it to end. I didn't, I, maybe I just didn't get it. But maybe you didn't get it. I thought she was you know. great. And, and you you'd never heard of her. She's an accomplished, like, she won a Golden Globe. She's won a primetime Emmy. She won two Tony Awards. She's been nominated for five Oscars. She won Best Supporting uh, Actress for 1981's Reds with Warren Beatty. Sure. I was six years old. I've never oh, seen but Reds. I mean, you're an Oscar guy. I mean, you're a pop culture guy. <laughs> like when he, when he gives, at the beginning, he gives her an ashtray for her birthday. She's like, oh, I was thinking of taking up smoking. This clinches it. <laughs> just lines like that just made me chuckle. And then they're in the movie theater. I'll take a popcorn and some milk duds and a white fish. I don't know. I just I thought it was funny. It's just stupid. And, when, she, when they're at the, when it, when, remember when she's trying to get the information from that cleaning lady and she's like, we got a lot in common. We both scrub floors. We're, we're both swell lookers and neither one of us is Chinese. And the cleaning, the cleaning lady's like, well, I got to say this. You've done your homework. <laughs> How can you, I was laughing my ass off at this movie. And when, yeah. and when they're at the wedding and she says to Barry Lou Henner, she's like, you've been like a daughter to me. I want to share something with you. I go both ways. Oh, jeez. It's just so ridiculous. Oh, man. I can't believe you didn't think it was funny. I was laughing my ass off of this. I think she's... You don't know her from Cocoon? You know, she was no. Wilfred Brimley's wife in Cocoon. Sure. If you say so. I, again, I don't... I don't By the way, I don't Wilfred remember. Brimley was my age when he starred as a senior citizen in Cocoon. I think he was younger than you. Man, I'm old. <laughs> I, just, I hope I make it to this. He certainly had a better mustache than you. Yeah, I just, I hope I can make it to the end of this show without dying of old age, I tell you. Okay, what about Peter Boyle? You know? What about him? Well, he was great in this. Like, I mean, you, most Gen Xers know him as the dad from Everybody Loves Raymond, you know, Frank Brown. But I always think of him as the as from Taxi Driver and especially as the monster in Young Frankenstein. Yeah, Young Frankenstein, that's oh, right. But um, did did you like him in this as Jocko Dundee? No. Obviously not, you know? I didn't, honestly, Chris, I didn't like anybody in this movie i didn't like this movie and i'm not just like oh this was dumb and i put my foot down it's like i really genuinely didn't find anybody i didn't like any of the performances i just a lot of these people i thought were either miscast or i was just like i don't know who this person is so i really don't care about who this character is and it was almost like it either was trying too hard or not trying hard enough. I'm not sure which. It just, no, it, it didn't work for me on any level at all. Oh, man, you're so wrong. Danny DeVito, uh, another TV actor. Uh, he was pretty much known at the time when he did this as, you know, he was Louis De Palma from Taxi, also with Mary Lou Henner. Um, I really loved him as Martini in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. He's such a unique actor, you know? And and, and that scene when he's in the restaurant with, uh, with, with Johnny Dangerously, and, and he's got this whole like homoerotic vibe going on remember he's like we should spend yeah some it time seemed together. uh it seemed out of place all yeah. of a sudden like, <laughs> what the hell did that come from he's like yeah oh we should spend time together like like two weeks in puerto rico <laughs> it's like what and the bowl crashes and, and and joe piscopo um if you remember when the original cast uh left saturday night live it, like, it, it, the show really sucked i mean people like you know there was denny Dillon and charles rocket and gail mathias not a very good cast, but they had two breakouts from that cast. One was Eddie Murphy and the other one was Joe Piscopo. He was a major breakout in from Saturday Night Live, but he never really found any success outside of that show. Um, I remember for a time there, unless I'm losing my mind, I feel like he left acting and went into bodybuilding for a while. 
I'm, I'm uh, sure I've never really that. been a big fan of him, so uh, I have to take your word for it. He was all like jacked up and everything. I'm sure of it. And he was in Dead Heat and Wise Guys. They were these two dumb movies from the 80s. But I mean, he has not really worked consistently as an actor. What about <clears throat> what about Griffin Dunn? I liked him all. He was in America in that movie, An American Werewolf in London. I had to look him up because I I recognized you didn't him, but recognize I him from that. You you like that movie, right? I just watched it. That's why he would look so familiar. And then I'd look him up like, oh, that's where I recognize him from. But um, I mean, yeah, amazing. I recognized him, but I didn't care for his performance. And I didn't really like, again, I didn't think he really was great in this movie. Oh God, I didn't I think anybody was, was good in this movie. I, I thought, thought he was, was great. That was terrible. Have you ever seen Scorsese's After Hours? No, I have oh, not. Oh God, he's so good in that. And he was the teacher in My Girl. Remember Veda had a crush on Mr. Bixler? And I, I don't also know remember what from, you just talked about. What? Sorry, what did you say? From where? My Girl. Remember the movie yeah, My Girl? No. You don't, you've never when, seen it? What? I, I don't even know what it is. When did it come out? Is it recent? My Girl. Well, obviously came out, not. came out in like 1991. It was with, um, it was with uh, what's his face? Macaulay Culkin. Remember, remember he dies from the bee stings? Mm, you have you okay. have no you have no soul you have no, no you have no soul I don't I don't think I ever saw it and oh, thanks man. for the spoiler oh man sorry the movie's 40 years old I apologize <laughs> <laughs> so anyway I thought he was really good in this I like like there's one scene I always remember in this movie with him was when he gets his brakes cut in the car and he's rolling down the hill and he just keeps saying oh my god oh my god I don't know why I just like that part the way he says it I don't know why um Okay, so Mary Lou Henner, like, okay, if you didn't like the movie, you didn't like her. My God, she was a beautiful woman. She was gorgeous, and she was charismatic. She's talented, but she never really worked all that much, you know? I mean, she did the, uh, speaking of Batman, we were talking, she did the voice of Veronica Vreeland in the Batman animated series. So you might recognize her from that one. I don't care. Well, I mean, I know, I know who she is, and mm-hmm. obviously I know her from Taxi, um, and I, I don't know if she did her own singing in that, but if she did, she got a fantastic singing voice, yeah. and she certainly looked attractive, but I didn't really feel she brought anything to this role that any other performer could have brought. Again, I, I just felt everyone's performances were so so flat, and I don't know if that was like they were trying to parody sort of what old gangster movies were like, where it was, you know, people would just come on, be real stiff, say their lines. It's It just... No, it didn't work for me. I remember seeing her on 60 Minutes like years ago, and it was a segment on people that had photographic memories. Yeah. And she has this like total recall memory where like she can remember, you know, those people that can remember exact details of specific days. Like Eidetic you, memory. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah. You, you would yeah. say like June 14th, 2008. And she'd be like, oh, it was raining in the morning. And then the sun came out at 1.15 and such and such happened in the news and you know, like, it, I, it's not like she's BSing either. Like, I mean, it's actually verifiable. I don't know. But uh, yeah, there's a there's a TV show that was on a few years ago called Unforgettable mm-hmm. with um, Poppy Montgomery, who was um, from um, uh, Without a Trace TV show from years before. She played a detective who had that uh, eidetic memory. She could recall everything. And it was it was loosely based on Mary Lou Henner. Um, and, and someone who has that memory condition. And then Mary Lou Henner actually made appearances on the show as her aunt or something. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting, uh, plot device. I I mean, it's a real thing obviously. And, and she, Mary Lou Henner really has it. Um, but it was interesting to see that someone had taken that idea and read this, this interview or this article and had, uh, had worked it into a police procedural and it was pretty good. Hmm. Like I said, Mary Lou Henner, I don't know why she didn't make it bigger. 
in Hollywood. I think she was a good actress and charismatic, like I said. So there were some cameos in this movie, too, that I made notes of as I was watching that I'd forgotten about, like Bob Eubanks from the Newlywed Show. He was the reporter Mm -hmm. outside the courthouse. And Ray Walston was that newspaper vendor who keeps getting hit on the head. Yeah. Remember him? He goes blind and he goes deaf and all that. Um, Did you recognize the police bailiff? Yeah, it was uh, the skipper from Gilligan's Island. Yes, it was. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the the scene where he's like calling all cars. Johnny Dangerously is dressed as a nun. And he's like, he's in a getaway car disguised with duckies and bunnies. Meet me at the pub. I'm buying. I remember when I saw this movie in the theater, that line got a huge laugh in the audience. I remember some of the weirdest things sometimes, I tell you. And then the, the... the newspaper headline, I was I like that too. It's like, who is Johnny Dangerously? It's like a, a sketch artist picture of like S- Stallone. From Sylvester Rocky. Stallone, yeah. How, okay, so you might have hated this movie, but what about Maroney? I mean, come on. Played by Maroney Richard Dimitri. I, mean, I don't think he ever did anything else. Uh, he was he, uh, was... he was so dumb. It was like, and he kept getting the words wrong. <sighs> like, the... And he looked like he had like a rubber face on or something. I don't know. I couldn't get over <laughs> it. Was, it. I'm like, this was... guy is just over the top. It was Although like... I did recognize the mm-hmm. scene when they were in the court and he's like, this is a Fargan trick question. You've <laughs> used that line on this show before. And I'm of like, oh, is that what this is from? Because it is the most famous line from this movie. You know, like that, that scene. Oh my God. When he is, he's in the, in the courthouse. And he, yeah, Tommy accuses him. It's like you're you were part of the the Lincoln's birthday slaughter and the Groundhog Day beheadings. <laughs> and he's like, well, if a train leaves Baltimore traveling at fifty miles an hour, that's a Fargan trick question. And the newspaper headline comes up and says, Maroney deported to Sweden, claims he's not from there. Because <laughs> it's like, what is? Was he Italian? Was he like East Indian? I don't know. Whatever it was, but. The way that he butchers the English language is like a really memorable part of this movie. I think it's what most people quote from this movie. Like, you fargan ice hole bastages. I'm going to cut your boils off. I don't, I don't know how you didn't think this was funny, man. Even when he sends the robot with the machine gun, remember? And then there's a note and Michael Keaton reads the note. And it's like, dear bastages. <laughs> like he even writes like that. And then I love this scene when he's outside his nightclub. And he's with his henchmen or whatever it was. And he's talking about the renovations. He's like, tear down that wall, tear, tear down that wall, and tear down that Fargan wall. And then this bomb goes off. This is Fargan War. I don't know. I laughed the whole time I watched this. From I can't believe you're laughing as much remembering this movie. Like, oh, I man, think we watch different movies because I, I didn't oh. laugh at it at all. It was painful. Oh, I was, God, I was literally... Funny. Riding my exercise bike, watching this movie, and I thought, if this exercise bike could move, I would ride it right out of the way of this television because this is oh, man, awful. But so wrong. It's just it's the first so time funny. since we've done this podcast where yeah. I almost turned off the movie. It was that bad. I'm like, no, no, I'm gonna get through it because maybe something good happens. Maybe there's some scene that's like, oh, I have to absolutely see it. I was just like, no. Right. I would like to have anyone that likes this movie email uh, me at chris at popgoesyourworld.com and tell me what your favorite Maroney quote is. Because, I mean, like, those of us that like this movie, we love this movie. And it's just like, these. Oh, some of these quotes are so good. Now, there are things that date this film. Because, you know, watching, I was like, oh, you know, a couple of little things. Uh, some of the attitudes toward homosexuality, I think. At one point, Ma Kelly uses the F word in a derogatory way. Um, and that really kind of kind of jumps out. Um, th- there's a scene when she's going through her purse and she hands the the wife her vibrator, 
And then um, the, when the brothers are fighting on the, 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 the stairs of the courthouse and Tommy starts like, he's like overly affectionate toward Johnny and he like climbs on top of him and the pedestrians, they kind of make this, you know, they look at him like the, it's about homosexuality and stuff. Um, so that, uh, some of the attitudes in the film, and we, we, we talk about that all the time. A lot of these eighties movies, they, they kind of have that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, which again is to not, not to excuse it, but at mm-hmm. the time it was, it was ripe fodder for, for humor and, you know, looking back with what we know now and our attitudes changing and, you know, be more progressive of what they are. You wouldn't find that kind of thing in a movie. You like, hopefully you wouldn't find that kind of thing in a movie today. But again, and, and to me, I, I, like to think that I'm sophisticated enough that I'm not going to laugh at those kinds of things because honestly, I don't find them funny. But uh, then again, I didn't find much funny about this movie anyway. No, you did so. not. Uh, another no. thing that really dated it that jumped out to me, the scene with Danny DeVito, we talked before when he's like kind of talking to Johnny in the restaurant and then he gets attacked by that stampeding bull that crashes through the wall and then the newspaper headline reads, DA dies in commercial. So this is a reference. There were these old Schlitz TV ads for Schlitz beer that always had a bowl crashing through the wall. And I just thought anybody watching that will have no idea what the hell that's all about. Oh, see, I, I, in the Mm -hmm. immediately preceding that he had asked him, what are we drinking? And then he handed him the bottle and he said, Oh, it's a whatever kind of beverage. I just assumed that was the reference to that beer. I didn't realize it was Mm -hmm. a deeper cut for some timely ad that we've long since forgotten. Yeah. And um, another thing I, I made a note of was like a lot of the Gen X movies that we would go back and watch. This one's got a lot of smoking in it. And oh, yeah. The scene where all the gangsters are smoking and then Johnny basically does this PSA about how it's better to chew gum. And then one of the guys just keels over and dies from smoking. And then right after that, they find out Johnny and Tommy are brothers. And it's like shock look, shock look, shock look. And then a dead guy with a cigarette in his mouth. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Again, I slept chuckled. I thought it was funny. And then another thing that really jumped out was when Piscopo drives up and he parks in the handicap spot. And his partner's like, hey, man, we can't park here. And Piscopo's like, yes, we can. I'm psychotic. And he puts up a sign implying like a crazy person. Right. Not PC at all. Uh, no. Just to ask my wife, the social worker, who was cringing during that scene. Um, and then like a lot of 80s you know, films we watch, the, the, kind of the typical views towards sex and gender. Like, I mean, there's a scene when uh, Piscopo says to the the old lady that's mopping the hall, he's like, how do you want, how do you like to make some money? And she's like, well, do I have to do you both together or one at a time? It's like, oh my God. And then, and then I thought, uh, <laughs> it kind of made me laugh. The scene when Tommy goes to see uh, Johnny Dangerously because he wants to quit law school and he wants to get married because he's horny. Right. Right. And then the, and then the girl with the exposed cleavage is behind Johnny and uh, Griffin Dunn's like, I don't know. I, I want to stay in law school, but I just don't have the for it. I mean, heart. It's like, oh, my God. Like that. I thought that was that was pretty bad, you know. And then the other one, the other one that jumped out was when they finally get married and he cannot wait to consummate the marriage. So he, t- he takes his wife into the broom closet. And then he gets interrupted and he's got to leave her. And then the janitor comes walking along and goes into the closet. He's like, hallelujah. I was like, oh, jeez. Again, there were some scenes of this not good. Like, just did not hold up. So the movie is dated. No question. It's a mindless comedy. But 
I think that's the point of going back and watching these old movies. You know, we get to reminisce, we get to experience the nostalgia for some of us, and we also get to see how things have changed over the years. But I think at the end of the day, this is a Gen X movie that a lot of people remember. So for me, I think it was worth going back and watching once again. I laughed many times, as, as you know. Uh, yeah, apparently. I don't know. Maybe you were, I don't know. I don't even want to speculate why you were find this so funny, but it was oh, not Maro- funny. Maroney alone, and with some of the stuff he says with the f- the Fargan trick question. Oh God, I just I don't know. I found some of it pretty funny, but that's all good. No, you didn't like it. You don't have to like all the movies that uh, that we watch. I certainly don't like all the movies that you make me watch. A lot of them suck too, so it's, it's all good. But anyway, on that note, let's have some fun with Caveman. <laughs> All right, my man, it's over to you as my pick for the movie. So you're going to handle trivia. So uh, what do you got for me? Okay, so um, as as we've mentioned on a few occasions here uh, tonight, Michael Keaton is the star of this film. We did a, a, yes. we talked about him a little bit at the beginning. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep the trivia pretty much on the nose here. I'm gonna ask you a bunch of questions about Michael Keaton, and then uh, just some sort of general trivia type questions, and then I've got a bunch of questions more about his body of work. And okay. depending on uh, on how you're doing and how much time we've got, um, you know, we'll see how deep into that we go. So. Some of these, uh, I felt like Yancey when you were doing your introductory blurb about the movie because I had some of these questions down, and then you mentioned some of the answers in your in your in your little blurb at the beginning. And I thought, mm-hmm. okay, well, he's ruining the trivia again, so I'm glad to see some things don't change, whether you're in the first episode or the 190th episode. So uh, good on you. But anyway, we'll uh, we'll dive right in. Some of this stuff you may know, some you may not. Uh, but I just, again, I like Michael Keaton a lot, so I wanted to to sort of look into his uh, his past and his work and and come up with some questions for you. Okay. All right. Uh, so his real name is not Michael Keaton. That's a stage name. What mm-hmm. is Michael Keaton's real name? I actually know this. It's it, it was it was taken by another actor, and it was Michael Douglas. That's correct. Yes. Uh, his real name is Michael John Douglas. And although that is a Michael Keaton is a stage name, he has never legally changed it to Michael Keaton. So his legal name is still Michael Douglas. Um, and there's a number of different stories about uh, how and why it was changed. The, the biggest, obviously, the, it revolved around the fact that when Michael Keaton was breaking into showbiz, Michael Douglas was already an established brand name. So he knew he needed to change his name. Um there's there's rumors that oh well maybe he was inspired by Buster Keaton or maybe it was inspiration from Diane Keaton um, and the thing I kept seeing when I was doing again it didn't seem to be a definitive answer but the one that seemed to come up the most was just he knew he needed to change his name he was looking through a, a list of performers at uh, at the guild uh, the the actors guild and when he got to the letter K and he was reading through the names and he saw Diane Keaton's name he thought oh Keaton seems like a pretty neutral name that won't offend anybody and went with that so regardless uh, or whatever the reason really was. Michael Keaton's the name we got, and that's the name we know him by uh, to this day. So, uh, okay, question for you. Yeah. How old is Michael Keaton? Oh, that's a good question. Michael Keaton has got, I just got to think about, like, when he came out, 84, so I would say he's probably 65. He is a little bit older than that. He is 69. He was born in 1951. His birthday is in September. He will be 70 this September. So he's 69 right now when we record this show. Yeah, I didn't think he was quite that old, but uh, yeah, there he is. Okay. You mentioned something along these lines, but uh, we'll go down this road here. So Mm -hmm. what was Michael Keaton's first on-screen appearance? Oh, it would have to have been on 
television, I would think. It was? Uh, it was... Was the Mary... So I mentioned he was... I know I remember he was on the Mary Tyler Moore. Mary Tyler Moore, when, when her show went off the air, she started a variety show, and I think that's where he got started. That was not his first on-screen appearance. It was before that. Um, I don't know. What was it? Was, was, he, was he in, like... Oh man, was he in like Mod or something like that? He was in like All in the Family or something like. I remember too, but I can't remember. He his first on-screen appearance was in episodes of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Oh, he wow. he was working behind the scenes, and they gave him some opportunities to be on screen. And apparently, that's when he realized he would rather be in front of the camera instead of behind the camera. And that uh, that was his first on-screen appearances Very were cool. in episodes of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Oh, that's really neat. Oh, cool. Okay, uh, Michael Keaton has worked with a ton of people and he's made a lot of movies mm-hmm. and done a lot of TV and a lot of specials. What movie directors has he worked with the most? And I'll give you a hint. There's two of them, two directors he has worked with on three movies for each of these two directors. Can you name the directors and can you name the three movies for each of them? I can name one director was Ron Howard because he did, um, he did gung ho and he did night shift and then he didn't he do the paper with him too. Yes, yes. So that's your... So Ron Howard is the first one, and those are the three. And then who was the other director? Oh, geez, I don't know. Um, this, I feel like this is later on in his career, so would it be maybe Tim Burton with Batman movies? Yes. Yes. Can you name the three movies? Uh, Batman and Batman Returns and Batman 3? No. <laughs> what did he do before Batman. Um, oh, Beetlejuice. Oh, that's right. Beetlejuice, go. Batman, and Batman Returns. Yes. Yes, there you go. Good one. Nice. I, I need a little it. bit of help on that one. Nice. Okay. I forgot that uh, Tim Burton did Beetlejuice. There you go. Has Michael Keaton ever been nominated for an Oscar? Yes. Well, he was nominated for um, uh, the uh, for Birdman. Yes, that's right. He's been nominated one time. Yep. Best, best performance by an actor in a lead role, and it was for... We'll call the movie Birdman. Its full yeah. title is Birdman yeah. or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. But most the only reason I remember that is like he didn't win the Oscar, but I remember when the when the film won Best Picture, they called him up on stage because the thing was, it's like, you know, you watch the Oscars like I do and mm-hmm. they always need a narrative. You know what I mean? They yeah. need a narrative. They're always looking for that. And it was like Michael Keaton's been around forever. So let's bring him up on stage and, you know, make him the narrative of the night. So, yep, yeah. for yep. sure. Yep. Okay. How many times has Michael Keaton starred in a movie that has gone on to be nominated for the Best Picture Academy Award? Oh, wow. Well, again, Birdman is one. Jeez, not too many others, I don't think. And they'd have to be later in his career. So I will say one. You would be wrong. The answer is four. And the question is, how many of those four actually won the Best Picture Oscar? But you don't, if you don't win the four, that's a hard question. Was the paper nominated? No, it was not. Oh, it was not. Hmm. Jackie Brown? Nope. I don't know. I don't know the that. earliest one was I from 2010. Oh, then, yeah, that's where you got me. That's why. Okay, I'm so the stuff. four okay. movies that he's know. been in that have all been nominated for mm-hmm. Best Picture, mm-hmm. Toy Story 3, he was the voice of the Ken doll, so that was oh, very appropriate oh. given your joke. Given my dad joke tonight, yeah, there yep. you go. He was in Birdman in 2014, mm-hmm. which won Best Picture. Yes, he did. He was in Spotlight in 2015, which won Best Picture. Mm. And this year, he was in The Trial of the Chicago 7, which was nominated but did not win. Oh, so okay. of the four movies he's been in, two of them have won. Yeah. A lot of All newer right. stuff. That's why I didn't know it. Yeah, yeah, Go exactly. Figure. And again, it's not to say that, hey, 
Michael Keaton was the definitive, this mm -hmm. is why it was nominated. I mean, for Birdman, you could argue yes, because he was the lead. The other movies, you know, especially Trial of Chicago 7, he's only in the movie like for 15 minutes and it's an important role, but it's not really the pivotal role of the movie. So right. anyway, but again, like any other movie that gets nominated for best picture, it's, it's a team effort. So he's part of the team four times. It's, it's, you know, pretty, pretty impressive. Okay. Uh, how are we doing for time? We got some time. We're going to go through some of these. So Michael Keaton has worked with a lot of leading ladies over his life. Yes. He's been in a lot of movies. Mm -hmm. So I put together a little list here mm -hmm. of about 15 movies. Michael Keaton has done in his career. I've got the name of the leading lady that was in the movie. Okay. Her real name. I've also got a little synopsis of the movie. Okay. And I got and I got the year the movie came out. So what okay. I'm gonna do is we'll give this to you in phases. Okay. I'll start by giving you the name of the leading lady. Okay. And if you can't get it from that, I'll then start giving you some of the other clues. Okay. That sounds fair. Okay. Let's do it. All right. All right. Okay. I'm just going to, and I've got them listed in chronological order, but I don't want to give sure. them in chronological. So I'm going to jump all over yeah, the place whatever. here. And yeah. I'm going to take out a few that we've already sort of covered off. Okay. Uh, Mimi Rogers. Oh, Gung Ho. Yes. Yeah. I like that movie. That was good. All right. Let's go to something in here. Andy McDowell. Andy McDowell. Oh, it was a. No. This is one of my favorite Michael Keaton performances. Highly underrated. I feel like it was like a duplicity or something like that. Close. Very, very close. I, I don't know. It was called Multiplicity. Oh, yes. I, I, came I out in 1996. I, yeah, I remember I remember when that movie came out and I had no desire to see it, but I remember thinking about that movie. Yeah, okay. It, yeah. You want a funny Michael Keaton one? That was really good. My wife and I, we quote this movie all the time. It is a very quotable. It had a lot of really good You know what else is really quotable? Johnny Dangerously. Oh, my God. Oh, no. no. Uh, okay. Rachel McAdams. I don't know. It's That's too new. It is very new. It, the synopsis is from 2015. Wow. The true story of how the Boston Globe uncovered the massive scandal of child molestation and covered up within the local Catholic, Catholic archdiocese, shaking the entire Catholic church to its core. Okay. It won Best Picture in 2015. We just talked oh, about it. Oh, Spotlight, right? Like, good one. All right, you got it. I need a lot of help on that one. Okay. Here, this is one we did on our podcast. This is a nice slow ball for you. Mm -hmm. Jennifer Lopez. What what movie was he in with Jennifer Lopez? Like her boyfriend. Oh, that was uh oh that movie you made me watch where in the elevator and he saw her. Oh, what the hell was it? Oh god, I think I put was it oh with George Clooney was, it the, was the George Clooney, yes. Oh crap. Out of time? Out of sight. Very close. Sight. We get oh, half points for that. Geez. We get half points for that. It was, I didn't like that one, so I kind of blocked that one out of my memory already. Sorry. All right. Michelle Pfeiffer. When did he start with Michelle Pfeiffer? I don't know. It was from 1992. We were just talking about her a minute ago. Um, it was with one of his favorite directors. Was it one of the Batman movies? It was. I don't know. I, I saw the original Batman, but I didn't see the other one, so I couldn't. All right. It was it was Batman Returns. Oh, Batman Returns. That's the only other yes. one he did, right? Yep. Then after that, uh, it was like yeah. Val Kilmer, and then it was like George. And then it was George Clooney and, and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then it was Ben Affleck. Okay. And now it's the guy from the Vampire movie. Uh, all right, Terry Gar. Oh, that was Mr. Mom. There you go. See, that's yeah. more in my wheelhouse. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. How about? Lorraine Bracco. 
it uh, wasn't she the one that was in uh, The Sopranos or something? Yep. Yeah, I have no idea. It was a movie from 1989 called The Dream Team. Oh, I remember that movie kind of. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, let's, uh, let's jump up here. How about, oh, this was a good one. You've probably never seen. Laura Dern. No idea. The movie, I'll give you a synopsis. Story of Ray Kroc, a salesman who turned two brothers' innovative fast food eatery into the biggest oh. restaurant business in the oh, world. Oh, that's a new one. That was like the, the, the McDonald's thing. Was it the yep. founder? Yes, the I, founder. I, heard, I, I, can, I can picture the, the him with the, the, the M. I, yeah, I can picture yeah. it, but I, I never saw it. But I didn't no, know what Dern was in it, but. Okay. Yeah, it was really good. She plays synopsis gave it away. Really yeah, okay. some of the synopsis are pretty uh, pretty obvious. I've tried to tweak them a bit to take mm-hmm. out some of the key things. Like, okay, uh, Nicole Kidman. I don't know. It's from 1993. The synopsis is a terminally ill man prepares for oh, his yeah, death. She was making movies back then, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, what was the synopsis? Is a terminally ill man prepares for his death. No idea. It's called My Life. I've never even wanna, heard of it. You want to cry? Watch this movie. Yeah, oh and God. if you want to laugh, watch Johnny Dangerously. Uh, no, don't. Don't listen to Chris. He doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> All right, Shelley Long. Oh, that was Night Shift. That was Night Shift. Even okay. though she hooked up with Henry Winkler in that movie, yes, but yes, of course. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, let me see. I'll give you one last one here. Mm-hmm. Melanie Griffith. Melanie Griffith and him. I've no idea. From 1990, just on the edge of your wheelhouse? No, don't know. The synopsis is a couple works hard to renovate their dream house and become landlords to pay for it. Unfortunately, one of their tenants, Michael Keaton, has plans of his own. Oh, he moved. I I saw that movie once. He was like this crazy tenant that moved in downstairs. Yeah. That's a bargain trick question. I don't know. It was called Pacific Heights. Oh, yes, that's right. It was, yes. Yeah. Oh, I remember that. Nice. Yeah. You did pretty good on these. Yeah. I had a few more, but I think most of them we talked about, or I'm just, they're so obscure, you're never going to get them. So, all right. No, that was good. We got uh, a fair amount of uh, Michael Keaton trivia there. So. All right. All right, good. Okay. I got to ask you, though, hang on. Before mm-hmm. we move on, I just want to yeah. go quickly back to it. Is it my imagination, or was Michael Keaton wearing an obscene amount of eye makeup through the entirety of Johnny Dangerously? He Gingerson? was, and you know, I noticed that as well. It's funny you should say that. I noticed that too. I thought he's wearing a lot of like eyeshadow or something. I noticed yeah. that too. Yeah. I thought didn't really was... understand what that was all about, but uh, maybe again, it was supposed it, yeah. to be funny and I just didn't mm-hmm. find it hilarious. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. So uh, as, as we have been trying to mm-hmm. do for the last few months here, you recommend a movie and then my pick, we try and find some sort of through line to connect yours to mine in some way, whether it's, through a common actor, a common mm-hmm. director, a common writer, a common theme, uh, whatever it might be. So you're so, going to find a movie that's really funny and quotable. I'm well, dying to know what it is. So I had I had sort of two ways to go. Originally, <laughs> I was going to do comedy, mm-hmm. and I, I actually want to save the comedy for a little down the road. Um, it didn't really seem to fit perfectly with this one. So I opted to lean on the, the plot of the movie because, again, I'm not really a big fan of the whole gangster genre, but we just did uh, The Departed, which might have been a good pick. But uh, so I was like, okay, well, this movie, Johnny Dangerously, is ultimately about Johnny Dangerously and his brother, the good guy, the bad guy, and and the potential conflict between the two brothers. So I thought, okay, well, that gives me a little bit to work with. So I'm going to go with the movie. I, and because Johnny Dangerously is so obscure and most people probably have never seen it and people who are interested may have had a hard time finding it, I wanted something that everyone has either seen 
or we'll have no problem seeing. So I went with something really big. It's a movie about two brothers, forces of good and evil, directed by Oscar winner Kenneth Branagh, featuring Anthony Hopkins, featuring Natalie Portman, starring Chris Hemsworth and Tim Hiddleston. We're going with Thor, Marvel Cinematic Universe Thor from 2011. Thor. Thor. I know you haven't seen many of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I have never seen Thor. This is this was one of the first ones. I know you watched Iron Man because we did that on a previous one. Only it was I just had a a conversation with my son the other day and we were talking about comic like or these uh, Marvel movies and these big things. And I said the only ones I've seen are Guardians of the Galaxy and Iron Man. That's it. Because yep. you made me watch them, so now yep. I'm gonna have to watch Thor. So, uh, yeah, and, and, and a little, a little, a little. Well, not so much spoiler about the movie, mm-hmm. but I really want you to watch the newest Thor movie. But if you don't know the characters, so much of what makes the new Thor movie so great is gonna be lost. So I thought, well, we gotta start somewhere. Yeah. So I'm gonna get you to watch Thor from 2011. 2011. I know you got Disney. Okay. I know you yeah. got the Disney uh, uh, Disney Plus. Yes, I believe I all the yeah. Marvel Cinematic okay. Universe movies are available there, so you should have no problem finding it. It's got a huge cast. It's a little under two hours long. Um, you want to talk about inappropriate eye makeup? We can have that conversation because uh, for whatever reason, they felt that uh, Hemsworth needed eye makeup in this, and I don't know why, okay. and it kind of looks funny in retrospect. But I don't think I know who he is, but uh, we'll find out. Yeah. Tell your wife that uh, he's he's a really hunky, beefy guy. He takes his shirt off a few times. She'll she'll appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll come back next week. We'll talk about it. I mean, right. it's a comic book movie. So set your set your dial sort of in that mm-hmm. expectation range just because it's got this great pedigree and it's got Kenneth Branagh at the wheel. You think, oh, well, you know, he's he's this Oscar nominated Oscar winner. It's decent, uh, but believe me, Thor wasn't winning any Oscars. It is, but it's a pretty decent example of the Marvel Universe, and they've made two sequels. So, you know, the characters have. It's okay. Johnny Dangerously wasn't going to win any Oscars either, so it's all all good. I'll bet you won some Razzies, though. (laughs) You would be wrong. You would be wrong. All right, so we'll come back next week, and we'll watch. I'll watch Thor, and we'll come back, and we will review that one. And that should be a lot of fun. Until then, this is Chris McBrien for Derek Meyer saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 